Welcome to the Inspirational Insights, Insights to Action podcast. My name is Donna Jones. I'm your host, and I am very excited to have Christian Feinberg of uh, Roche, Sweden with me today, or with us today, should I say, to talk about the transformation that they went through from hierarchy to and command and control to shared leadership and network decision-making. Christian, I, perhaps I'll just jump right in and ask you to give a little bit of an overview of Roche because there's a lot of play people listening that won't have a clue who you are, yeah. who the company is. Uh, I will say that that if the company started in 1896, and when I saw that, I thought, okay, there's some you know adaptive DNA built into into the way of thinking there. Otherwise, uh, that company would not be around by now. So I'll hand it over to you, Christian. Yeah, so, so thank you much for having me. I, I, I really look forward to the discussion today and hope I will bring some valuable insights or, or ideas that you can take back. So first of all, I'm Christian. I've been part of Roche for, for about 12 years. I'm currently the transformational lead in Sweden and also a coach, not by title, but more by profession, meaning I'm leading, I would say, half of the organization in Sweden. We have an oncology based organization and, and, and non oncology. I'm leading non oncology. So that means that Roche is a pharmaceutical company. It, it's, it's a massive pharmaceutical company. We have, we have over 100,000 employees across the whole globe. We are multinational. We have operations in every corner of, of the globe. And we are focusing on innovative solutions for patients, meaning that we don't, we don't do copycats. We don't do what others do. We try to be an innovative company where we bring additional value through our medicines and solutions. And that includes both pharmaceuticals and diagnostic uh, tools. I'm representing the pharma side. We also have a diagnostic side here in Sweden and across the globe. Uh, that's obviously part also of this, these transformations that we've done. But my accountability is, is around pharma. For Roche, in, in, in many ways, there is a strong will to make make difference. You know, our, our kind of tagline is we do what patients need next. I mean, we always have this constant drive to seek improvements. And and for me, obviously, being part of this is is really encouraging to see what, what difference you can make. And, and 12 years ago, we were a different company. These days we are, and as you said, being here for so many years, there's been a constant evolution over the organization. And and I would say on the scale that we have to still have this kind of familiarity, meaning that you have a local kind of adaptation and, and, and openness to, to, to see how the world operates and, and to adapt to that is just phenomenal. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of the company. I'm so proud to be part of this. And, and I'm sure that, you know, if you ask a normal colleague in, in Roche, they are very well engaged and, 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 and believe in the vision and, and the future of this company. Now, were they well engaged 12 years ago? I would say uh, back then we were really successful. I think we still are very successful. So I think that was the starting trend where, where monoclonal antibodies really entered the, the, and monoclonal antibodies are used for, for severe diseases as, as cancer, rheumatitis, those kind of, you know, difficult diseases. That was a new era by then. So I think people were engaged about that. But we were also very much operated in a hierarchical way. There was, you know, control as, as a foundation. We are Swiss. So maybe that sounds a bit like, you know, the German style. There were directions from above sending down. And then I think people were excited about the kind of innovation, but also I think in many ways were, were feeling that, you know, I, I can do more than this. I, you know, I'm, I'm controlled. My, my middle manager says, tell me what to do. That manager tells that person what to do. Looking back, you know, 
because I joined from another pharmaceutical company. I, I felt that, you know, people like what they do, but they also felt a bit, you know, uh, suboptimally used. I would say that's that's the world I find. I, I think they were there were many capacities that were not used in the organization by then. And I think that's something we have tried to address, not only in the last couple of years, but along the, the, the last, I would say, decade. At some point, the decision must have been made to again engaging in a transformation. Do we tweak it or do we transform it? And, and if we if we look at the difference, the nuance is going to be made of of how the whole the whole design of the company. What was that process? It's, it's a great question. If I look back, I think the natural way would be to tweak because that's easier. That let's let's fix a few things and then we'll, we'll be be great again, or, or let's let's remove this and see what happens. But I think we all felt when we started this transformation that there is so much more we can do. There is so much happening in the world that we just doing a tweak won't won't make it. And I think again, it's the whole healthcare sector, the whole the whole humanity. I think has moved on to this this information fully available everywhere. There is there is innovation happening at a speed that we you know couldn't even imagine ten years ago. I think COVID is is a great example of another you know phenomenal that where collaborations happens across pharmaceutical companies and healthcare industries and obviously we didn't know that when we started transformation but I think there's so many signs out there that needs more than a tweak and I think for me and for the whole organization that that was that was a finding that we said let's let's see where we can go by really changing preferably our, our, our culture because I think that's and that's that's the main part that we have worked on but in some ways also the structure of the company. And I think it's hard to do transformations and it's hard to do, you know, cultural changes, but it, it was necessary. Again, if you talk to, to a colleague in the organization, they would say that that was necessary to happen. And, and then again, it looks differently in, in different parts of the organization, but I would say every, every affiliate, as we say, or every country that works with our products, has seen a need of, of, of a shift. And, and uh, obviously also our global leaders have seen that, but it's been very much up to each affiliate, to each country to define how could that look like. And I think that's, that's another way of, on, another thing that I'm really proud of, that we have been able to design our journey ourselves. Obviously there's been some guiding principles or guardrails from the global organization, but, but I would say 95% of the initiatives that we've done in Sweden is defined by us in Sweden to meet our demands, to meet our external environment, to meet the, the challenges and opportunities that, have, that we have in our daily practice. For me, to be able to have that impact, to be able to have that accountability, to, to tailor your, your journey is, is, I'm sure there are other companies that you know, could allow for it, but I think in the scale that we have, in, in you know, in the value that we bring, you know, turnover is is massive here, and and every affiliate has has a big, big accountability. I'm I'm just amazed and, and and proud that we got that that accountability on a local level. So now you've alluded to two things that I think are really critical. One of them is the vision. You know, yeah. where are we going collectively as a, as a, as an organization of 100,000? And then the role of guiding principles. I'm just working on something around principles. So I'm excited yeah. to hear you say that. So let's talk about that, please. Yeah. What, what is the vision that, that unified everyone's focus worldwide toward accomplishing something? And how was that shared? And then, and then if you will, uh, talk about the guiding principles. 
Yeah, so the common vision for the whole organization is to deliver three to five times more medical innovation to half the cost of society. We want to have a much more value-driven organization, meaning that we want to to provide a higher set of of innovations, and we want to do that at a much less cost, meaning that we need to find ways of of working differently. We need to find ways of saying, what what do, do we don't need to do that we do today? What do we actually do with with the limited resources that we have to be able to pull that through. And I think for me, that's been a really strong kind of guiding principle, a North Star that everyone is is working against. And, and within that is also, you know, this kind of doing now what patients need next, meaning always find this this ambition of, of doing better. How, how can we improve? Where, where can we find ways of improving? And, and for me, and I think for all our colleagues, this this is really close to our heart, and I think that that's what you need with a vision. It needs to feel is this right? Yeah, this is right. This is this is what our our society and healthcare will need. They, you know, pharmaceutical industry has a bad reputation because we are we are charging a lot for for, for medical innovations, and and people need to pay for it, and then governments need to pay for it. So we we have this kind of wish. Yeah, we can't just ask for more and more and more and doing you know innovations that is you know just slightly better we need to find really big improvements and we need to make it in, in a very costly effective way so people can get access to those and i think that that is a very sustainable and very i think engaging uh, vision and that's that's how how we started and and based on that saying obviously we then need to find how can we transform ourselves to be able to make it happen and and then we come to the principles and i think we and that there we have the differences i think every fillet was you know uh, approaching this is what we're aiming for you know translate that to your local environment and and that was you know the principle where we got really strong in sweden was that we want to allow our, every person in the organization to be the best self that that was more or less the starting point saying how can we allow our people to to really deliver and, and engage what they they are able to do and and for, for us that was looking into every every kind of corner saying what barriers what limitations have we put on our organization or people that we can actually remove and secondly obviously on the other side how can we support and enable them to, to actually use all the all the, the capabilities and based on those we then tailored three key balances that we wanted to to, to correct because when we looked into organization in sweden it was a very internal focus organization we we, we were coming from many years of success business was almost running by itself. So we said, that's not being our best self. That's not delivering three to five times more innovation by sitting in meetings and discussing what the customers needs. We need, we need to tweak that to saying, if we go from, from 70% internal to 30% external, could that be you know, an, an opposite shift? 70% external, 30% internal. So that was the first kind of key balance that we wanted to correct from internal to external. I think that's very well aligned to what agile organizations do. You know, you listen to your customers and they together with you work on how you can improve. The second thing that, that was a key principle was this process structure versus speed. So we had, a, you know, again, many a success, created a lot of controlling processes, a lot of unnecessary shit, sorry to say, that we were, were dealing with every day. We just made a stop saying, let's, let's look at this. What, what are we doing? If, if you look on a week, I probably spent 50, 60% of my time asking others to present what they were doing. We said, that, that can't be the role of a manager. And, and then, you know, we went through some other roles and suddenly just realized there's so many processes that we 
we we have just created because people want to know. And let's say, and then we took a conscious decision that there still will be need of some processes. With that's laws and regulations that we need to follow. Obviously, we should keep that clinical trial. You can't just you know do as you want with clinical trials. That needs to be a protocol. Obviously, we need to follow. But in many ways, we we can you know release some of the processes and get speed. Speed is a competitive advantage. We want to be quick. We want to learn quick. And and if we see something that doesn't work, obviously, we will be quick to uh, fix that. So that that was the second speed versus versus uh, structure and process. And then you have. Um, Another key feature of organization, and I, I think many organizations see themselves, is, is the perfection. So we, we overdid the presentations internally. We spent months to prepare for internal reviews. We were sending external activities or, or allowing external activities that, that customers said, this is too much. We only wanted this, and you, now we come with all of this. So then we said, oh, another balance that we need to fix is, is this kind of 80-20 mentality, meaning good enough versus perfection. Again, in some areas we need perfection. So maybe again, the 70 perfection, 30, just, you know, good enough needs to shift to 70% good enough, 30% perfection. So those were the key free balances. First of all, people want, should be the best self. We should allow for that. Anything we can do to make that happen should happen. And secondly, these three key balances were the guiding principles. External focus, speed or just do it, and obviously then, then the 80-20 or the good enough principles. Those were the starting point of, of how we, we kicked off our change. And I think if I look back, it, it just it's just come to us. You know, it's, this was just discussing, happening. What do we see? You know, it, obviously we had a lot of, of discussions internally with people, also some external discussions. When I do my retrospective, it was so clear. People said, yeah. This is right. This is exactly, you know, if I, if I would summarize my, our company in, in, you know, this is where we have gone wrong. We got buy into that and then, you know, the journey was on. Wonderful. Well, okay. So now I'm excited about talking about dismantling the hierarchy, if you will. Uh, that is a term that comes up a number of times. We need to dismantle the hierarchy, which normally strikes fear into the heart of every manager. <laughs> How did you go about that? The, the, the morphing or the change between, you know, hierarchical command and control into something that's more networked. And I, I think you had a change in structure as well. You removed yeah. layers. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So, so, so again, the guiding star was this, you know, more, more value outside. Again, allow our people to be, be our best self. And, and when we said that to people, some said, yeah, I can be by myself. There is a layer between me and you and, and layer that is stopping me. And I, I go to my manager for, for guidance, et cetera. So we start to think a bit about that. And then the first initiative that we actually did to see if we can do differently was, was an initiative that we call Pick Your Coach. And, and it's not coach by default that you're a train coach, but we allowed all of our people. And this, this was an experiment. We allowed everyone in organizations to pick a person outside the function and role as a coach to just see what that would boost. And, and, and the kind of selling point was this, everyone should be able to to work with people that you get inspired from, et cetera. So, so that, that was the starting point. And then in those discussions, a lot of people brought back saying, why couldn't I select my manager? Why couldn't the next step be pick my manager? And, and then we said, oh, and we were, you know, the transformational leads, myself and, and, and a co- colleague of mine, 
were a bit shocked about that because we hadn't, you know, that was not the plan that we, we thought of. But it still stuck to us. And then when our people all said, the structure that we have is holding us back. You know, you said again, we should be allowing to be our best self. The structure we have is not promoting that because we are sitting in silos. We have leaders that is that control or, or to deliver what they they have as as, as accountability. Uh, that that needs to to stop. And then again, okay, thank you for feedback. Let's let's start that process. So that was the kickoff of the of the restructuring of, of, of the operating model and the organization. And, and we had design teams working, you know, there was a selection of people uh, included in that. And they, they were very clear when they come up with, with the prototype saying, if we will allow people to be the best self, that, that needs to be a full empowerment. We need, we need to trust them. We need to guide them and help them, but we need to trust them and empower them to, to make it happen. Before that, we had the, the kind of colleagues, we have the middle managers, and we have the, the senior leadership team. And we were, in Sweden, we were about 100 colleagues, 115 by then, and we had 21 managers. And then we asked the, the scientists, saying, okay, could you see a model where, where how, how could it look differently? And the, the, actually, their suggestion, and it was a mix in the design team of managers and, and, and non-managers, was to say, let's, let's just skip the middle managers. We don't, we, we don't need middle managers because they are just, you know, between the senior leaders and, and an organization. So, okay. That, that was, of course, a bit shocking when we saw that. Senior leaders by then were about six and you had, we had 15 then, uh, middle managers. But it, it was very strong from, from, from the design teams. And then what we did was that we tested this with the whole organization. Proposed that this is what they, they see this could bring by removing this. And I would say I, I was really, really happily surprised that it wasn't not everyone, but I would say a big majority of our people said, yeah, we don't need those. It's not that they have done anything wrong. They, they have been there to control and help and, 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 and be part of, you know, defining the task of the people. But if you say empowerment, if you say best self, that's, that's not needed. So that, that was the decision in that. And, and then we designed the organization to, to have a biggest panel control of the senior leaders. And, and today everyone in the organization is either, either in, in the enabling team. And we are, I think, 10 in that. I'm part of that. And then we have, they have the rest. So everyone reports into the, to the senior leaders. And we are only operating as, as we, we call it the VAC methodology. We are, we are visionaries. We are architects. We are catalysts and we are coaches. So. I have no power to say this is what you need to do. I have no power to be an expert in the fields that I operate. I'm there to coach, support, enable my people to be the best self. Then I work in, in the management team or enablement team with other, other you know, company-wide or, or international questions, but with my people, and I have about 10, 12 people now, I think, that reports to me. I'm only there to support them. I'm only there to help them again. And I say this, 10, 10 times now to promote them to be what they can be. My job is to remove those barriers, sometimes open up new doors, sometimes saying, have you talked to these people? Or, you know, I see, I see you're, you're being angry here. Why? What, what, what is there behind this? To, to trigger those discussions, sometimes it's, it's self-learning. Sometimes I coach them. Sometimes I open doors to a new world. Sometimes I find external resources that can help them. To, to, to deliver what they can deliver. So it's almost eight months. We did this kind of top-down, 
we were telling the teams what to do. We had design teams proposing. We implemented it. And now I think eight, ten, ten months later, this is working. Obviously, there's been people leaving the organization because they wanted to be controlling managers. But but I would say the absolute majority of the mini managers is still with us. Some has been been become uh, senior leaders, but most are now working as as partners. Meaning that they they do really valuable work for organization without having the control and command accountability. So it's widely known that the layer called senior management and leadership in most organizations is the bottleneck for all all progress. Did you have any cases? And if so, how did you handle them where you've got someone at the top who's addicted to control <laughs> and just simply won't let go, won't, won't sort of make the shift from controlling other people to controlling what shows up to, you know, controlling the response essentially to outside stuff. How did that get handled internally? Obviously there was those situations. What we did is that we, because I see many organizations, I helped a number of other Roche companies to to kick off that transformation, is that we, we were very keen to say this, this is not us telling the people to change. This is us changing, and then then we guide our people. So, so I think the enabling team or management team in Sweden, they they were they were involved from day one. And no no one could escape from that. They, you know, they, if someone said, oh, don't don't believe in it, sorry, you know. You need to believe into this, and if you don't believe, that's okay. But then you you won't be here in the future. So so there were a few of those discussions. There were people saying, mm, "Not for me," and and then we had a really honest, open discussion. How can we support them to do something else? Some some left for other affiliates. Some left the organization. We we're not that massive if you look on Sweden. So for me, it it, it is a key importance that the senior leaders is is the role models. They, they, otherwise, I don't think you can you can pull through. I think they will read the lie and then, you know, you, you've gone down the, the, the drain. So for me, that, that was so important. We were lucky to have a, have a general manager or senior leader that, that is a true believer into this. That's not the case everywhere in, in Rose, but and she's, been, she's been the role model for, for the transformation. She is managing us as leaders. She is outstanding really really showing us how to do it she's 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 doing this you know every second of her of her, her working day and private life for sure as well so it hasn't been that painful that, that i expected there's been as i said a few discussions some people leaving but but i would say the absolute majority again has has seen the value of this and, and has seen that you know by by allowing people by empowering people you actually get the much, you know, more positive and engaged community. I also had a lot. I was commercial director, had 35 people under my banner control. Now I have 10, but I was say by then I was controlling and not really, you know, I, I didn't really like what I did. I, I was just to collect and push people to do, do the job. Now I'm again, you know, back to, People like me again. People see the value. I help them. They help me. It's 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 just a cultural and and, and collaborative change. Yeah, people love the hierarchy. People love the career. But again, this this is you know this is another career. This is another another step instead. And for me, that's and I rather have a, a job that I really enjoy and, and and an environment where people feel 
really that they are contributing, collaborative, supportive. So I think the price of yeah spinal control is is totally worth it. You know, I I I, I never regretted that this was the the step that we we all took. And obviously this was very open. People were allowed to to have an offboarding package. We we were also I haven't said much about that, but we we were allowing people to opt in or opt out because we presented our expectations. We presented this is what we need for organization and and empowerment and trust and allowing people to do what they believe is best is a central part. That can't be you know compromised on that. So if you believe that you can't deliver that, that's okay. But opt out is then probably the alternative. Or join that side. Being empowered means that you can do and select what you want to do. So we have both of those examples. Now, I'm sure along the way you've you've picked up on really core skills that are I would say are more more sensitive to complexity, more sensitive to the uncertainty and the ambiguity context that we are in today from the outside world, certainly. But but that of course meets face to face with the inside world. What are the core skills that you feel came out of this experience that? It, you know, are ones that every single person, it doesn't matter what layer of power they're at or authority that they're at, needs to embody. Mm. I love that question. I think a key element that people underestimate is is the beginner's mind. I think that to be curious, to really say, yeah, I, I probably know what the answer will be here, but I, I'd rather ask the questions anyway. I, and that's externally, internally. For me, this to kind of go out and be curious, you know, say, okay, if they, if they have an answer that you expect, Ask a follow-up question. Say, okay, you said that because I've learned that maybe you know I'm, I'm not really a theory guy, but what you know is probably 15% of, of the reality. That that's 85% unknown out there. And 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 if you feel you're an expert, you will only operate in those 15%. But I want us all of us to to be this kind of. Mm, I wonder how this works. I'm, I wonder what they say if I ask the question. I wonder what, if I call this person, what would be the reaction? To have that beginner's mind constantly with you is 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 how I see as as a key. And then, secondly, I think a pragmatic approach. I think we are way too much of this. You know, it needs to be like this. So I, I think a pragmatic approach will always serve the purpose of of, of learning. You know, if if you say okay. Maybe I had another expectations here, but let's be pragmatic. Let's find something that, that, you know, suits both of us. That's killing the ego. So to say, we'll leave the ego at home. That is necessary in, in the organization we have. And, and the third element is that we, we can't deliver any solution without including the, the, the external world. I think we are, we have been operating for way too long. And we, we know what our customers need. And, and I would say today, it, you know, it, if someone would come to me and say, oh, I have this idea, the first question I, I would ask is, who, who have you talked to externally about it? Who, 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 do, who do you plan to work with? It's been so easy to say, oh, but I, I, I think they'd like this. I, I've heard this. But I think for me, that's, that's, that's the starting point. So again, working always including the external environment in, in, this, in the discussion, always being curious and always having this, okay, let's find a solution at least, you know, let's start somewhere. And I know Agile has this, you know, MVP starting small, being, but I, I rather have, let's do something, you know, if it's small or big, it doesn't matter, but just, just do something because that will learn us something. Just to plan, just to, to uh, maybe I'll wait for my customers to call me 
that, that can't be how we want to operate. That's not speed. That's not, you know, being, being uh, good enough. It should be, let's act and see what happens and, and really have this kind of open mind. And we went to a lot of other companies, really taught us amazing stuff. We went to the Seagull where they set their own salary. We went to a company where they, they have like 300 employees reporting to one person. Uh, we went to Spotify saying, how do you really optimize incentives and rewards in, in an agile? I was just amazed how open they were, how inviting they were. And, and we had no clue what to expect. But if you, if you go there, ask questions, you know, with a really open mind, you learn a lot. And I think that's how we want to operate also with our customers and, and with our peers across the world. You mentioned, and I got all excited because uh, sensing is critically important to how I read underlying dynamics in organizations and in any kind of transformation. I'm going to hone in on that one, obviously. How did you bring that forward? How did you cultivate it? How did you use the sensing capacity that you have internally? I, I don't think memos or emails or town halls change an organization. So we said, we need to talk to individuals one by one or two by two, you know, that's how we want to, to sense how we are progressing. So, so that's how we did. We, we, we aligned with a couple of what we call transformation influencers. So there were people raising the hands saying, I love these ideas. What can I do to help? Say, oh, come along. You can be part of this. We had the same with the enabling team. Come along. But they, they couldn't choose because they said, we need, you need to come along. And then we had a few others, external people helping us. And, and I would say, Almost the first half of the journey was based on discussion by discussion, meeting up with people, sometimes invitations, sometimes by the coffee machine. Sometimes, you know, when we heard something that people were a bit hesitant or a bit, you know, lost in translation, we went to saying, you know, love that you're lost in translation. That's great. How can we, what can we learn from this? How can we take you further? So I think that, that is how we did it. And I think obviously there are different scales of companies, but I would recommend any organization saying, you know, it is these, you know, one-to-one, so the smaller discussion. It doesn't need to be ours. It's more like, can I get 10 minutes? You're a great person. I, you know, really trust your, your good intentions here. Tell me, you know, what do you like? What do you don't like? What don't you understand? What do you understand of this? And, and, mm-hmm. and then collectively, you know, of course, we did retrospectives. We did some pulse checking. But I think the key was these smaller informal discussions where people, I think in most cases, were very honest saying, mm-hmm. A key part has been we, we, we did know that we we're going to do a lot of, of mistakes or failures because we didn't really have a plan. Sorry to say that, but we, we had an idea. We were doing this experiment by experiment, step by step. And I think the whole sensing was key to get us right. These smaller informal discussions is, is obviously that takes some time, but I think we were very, very uh, patient in a way that we said, if we rush through this, it won't be sustainable. Let's, let's make it in a pace that the organization tolerates and finds attractive. We allowed for that. And then when we did something new, we again, you know, implemented it, did run it for some time, and then we went out. Some we met probably 15 times along the journey. Some we probably had three or four discussions with because they were either buying in or not buying in at all. But we really tried to care and listen in. I think that, that was, and that was internally, I would say mostly. I believe that that's the source of organizational intuition. I believe that's the, that that's where the nuances get picked up that, that the mind can't detect, you know, that helps the steering. 
of where we go next. So now let's take it over to the cons- consumer, to, to your customers. How did the relationship change from the beginning of the transformation to in the end, you know, in terms of feedback loops, in terms of conversations, in terms of yeah. uh, engagement? Obviously, that was also another key part of because just doing internal changes and, and it's not worth it because then that's no impact on, on our, our external world. So, so we were very keen to, to also, of course, include the external world into this. And, and, and the key part that we did was that we, and that was actually part of an incentive program by then, it's not any longer, but we said, let's really have the ambition in every discussion we have an external partner, ask for feedback every time. And then again, not feedback saying, what do I do? good more or less what can i improve or what can we improve obviously that that was a bit uh, difficult in the beginning for some of our people but along the way when they start to say shit i get a lot of value out of this they tell me you know how i can improve or even you know do things a bit different we really got the momentum so we had by then a customer face and we're essentially meaning people dedicated to meet the customers that was about 20 people and in eight months, I think we collected 6,000 feedbacks. And we took at least 50 or 60 different actions based on those, those 6,000 feedbacks. And, and for us, there were small things, there were big things, there were sometimes specifically to that person. Because in the beginning, people were a bit you know, nervous to see, see the outcomes and the feedback. But I would say halfway in, the customer facing start to share this, you know, in internal uh, channels, totally vocal, totally happy when they got some really uh, difficult feedback. To, to, and maybe that's part of the, the culture that we created, but I, I was just amazed to see. And, and then we built on that. So obviously those, those discussions turned into actions. And, and then with actions, we included the external community. So I would say we completely changed how we operate with the external world from being the experts to being the curious people to asking saying you said this you know how can we how can we find a solution for that yeah and some some to say yeah but that's your job to do it okay thank you for feedback then we will do it in some cases we find a collaborative spirit and i would say that how we operate today is that we do as a standard co-creation in that we instead of us coming with solutions or saying this is the product you need for these patients we are asking about what's your needs, what, you know, what are the difficulties that you see when, when you meet your patients. And then we focus our energy on how we can find common ground or common commonalities that we can work together. And sometimes our product could be a solution. Sometimes it's not. And that's okay because we still provide more value to, to the external world if we work on their problems or, or, or sometimes opportunities. A lot of people ask, oh, how about sales then? If you don't talk about your product. Yeah, but they, they know about the products. We, they know what we represent. They, obviously, sometimes the products come, comes into the discussion. So I would say we, we only see positive upsides on those dialogues. And it has become you know, a shift from where we are hunting our customers to that they start to call us. Saying, hmm, I heard this. You know, I have this, this situation. Could you help us? We have even hospitals in Sweden that open up or set up offices or, or shares for our employees say we want you to be here once a month to work with us this is my group i like that sounding board there are some that doesn't trust this at all i should be honest about that we we come from a we come from a pharmaceutical industry is not that well seen some beliefs we have a hidden agenda and i think 
we are currently talking about that. How how do we proceed? But I think my my kind of take on was that it would just take a bit more time with them. We need to constantly show that there is no hidden agenda. This is this is for real. This is how we want to operate going forward. Part of why I'm you know doing this these exchanges that. I, I like to encourage other pharmaceutical industries or companies to do the same. And I'm, I'm really happy now because I've talked to a few others in Sweden. They are now changing in exactly the same direction. And I, I just, you know, encourage that as, you know, as many as can do this, the better it will be. So, so we have an impact on others to be collaborative, to, to work together. It's so much more engaging than being this kind of, you know, salesperson that, knocks doors and people closest them, you know, in front of you. We see, we see totally different climate out there when we show up like this. And some, again, doesn't trust us and we need to work on that. Right. So you've kind of covered the results as we've gone, but I'm going to ask you just to capture them into yeah. a short summary of what you've seen as a, as a result of all this magnificent transformation work. So if, if I look internally, obviously we, we have a much more, external focus in everything we do. I think that is a, a big step in the right direction. Every personalization today has, has an external interest of you. Some more, some less, but everyone has, has that. I think also there is still perfection in organization, but in many ways we have removed that. So for example, brand planning, which is like the plan that we, how we want to roll out a, a product was usually like a three months exercise Today, it's one slide, which means 10 minutes of work. It was three months involving probably 10, 12 people. And today, the empowerment, the accountability lies on one person. Obviously, that's transparent. They share it with, with others. You know, we, we save thousands and thousands of hours that we can deliver value for our patients instead. Because a plan is just a plan. It's, you know, it's not worth spending three months selling it five, six times reviews back, you know, tailor. <laughs> How could we do it like that before? I don't, you know, it's so stupid. And today we don't do it. Just the release that this brings to people is just, just amazing. Obviously, engagement has gone through the roof. We, we have always been a highly engaged company, but I think the latest engagement survey was, you know, well beyond 95% massively engaged in, in organization and tons of others. So that's the internal. External world, I think key features that is, we have much more open doors for us. We have signed so many more partnerships than we ever done before. Hospitals, even governments, local governments, I would say, are really keen to work on collaborative and, and common problems. We never ever seen that before. This kind of shift of we are interested about you, what can we start working on together is, is really paying off in that way. Obviously, sales of our products is, is really going well. It can obviously always go better, but I think we, we really see encouraging happenings there. And, and another external finding is that people spontaneously call out to be part of organization. And that's other pharma, but it's also a lot of people from healthcare, which shock us a bit. Even, you know, oncologists, not professor types, but senior oncologists. Wow, this, is, this sounds amazing. So you really work to help healthcare become better from your perspective with the resources here. Yeah. Some even want to join us tomorrow and said, I, I will skip my career as, as a doctor to join you any day. We haven't actually hired any one of those, but I think I'm sure that that will happen because I, I just see this kind of 
shift of how we operate as, as very sustainable and promising. And then there are obviously many others. I think another key feature is that this local initiative is now, is now scaled to be part of a global change for the whole Roche 100,000 employees. I, I don't think we should take all the credit for that, but our, our GM is set as a lead for that. Obviously, I'm part of, of it too. So we are now defining some key guiding principles for the rest of the global organization based on this, this uh, experiment that we did in Sweden. So we take, take the credit. It's, it's lovely. Obviously, I think there are similarities that can be, be used and there might and probably will be some differences across the world because China is not Sweden and, and, and US is not Sweden either. So there needs to be some, some tailored approaches but I'm really, really happy to see how we have tried to, to deliver the, and have delivered an experiment and prototype that can really make difference. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely inspiring. So we could keep going because I want, you know, I have conversations about what you measure and metrics mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, how, how this changed and helped your response with COVID because that took a lot of companies by surprise. But given the mindset you've got, unlikely that it threw you for a loop as a company that there would have been just some natural responses. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. There was discussions and should we, you know, stop the, the kind of, you know, journey based on COVID, but people were pressuring us saying, you know, you started it. You know, we, we love what you say. This can't be stopped. No, we, we really want this to happen. People guided us and then we said, let's continue that. You know, if, if, if you want that, let's do it. Otherwise we could, you know, we maybe could have you know, done it at a half speed or whatever, but, People were guiding us, and if not one, these were the majority of people said, hmm, the ball is rolling. We love this. This, this is now happening. You know, we've been waiting for this for 20 years. I will be allowed to be my best self. You know, who doesn't want to be that? So, so please go along. Continue. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is that people are listening, and that's yeah. the difference. My gosh, that's the difference. So the listening and learning combination is extremely powerful in this kind of environment. I agree. Based on what I said before. This is coming from these informal discussions where we're able to, to you know, fill in the missing pieces, to, to be able to close the gaps that people had. If you're planning something like this, really plan to be out there, listening, sensing, discussing, being totally honest. Of, this is the intention. This is what we see. What are you thinking? You know, what, what, what input do you have? What, what can we learn from that? And obviously you can't listen and do ev- what everyone tells you to do, but, but, it gets quite quickly into some kind of patterns. Okay, engagement over here, less engagement over there. Okay, maybe more of this than a little bit less of that. So I think if I look back, it was probably a bit of luck, but that's, that's how we have operated. That's how I, it's a, like a person. I, I, I don't believe to stand on the stage to tell people this is how we should do it now. You know, I, I'm, I'm rather having this, you know, let's have a coffee and see what, what you say. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very, very much for sharing all of that with uh, with the audience. And I know people are going to come inspired out of that. Anything you want to add around contact or can people read up on the transformation? Is it published? What, what, have, what have we got for further resources? I, I will yeah. certainly post the, the conversation. I need to do a shout out to Matthias uh, Holmgren yeah. for, for plugging us together in the first place. Adja yeah. from Crisp in, in Stockholm. Anything else though? There are some articles out there. People can reach out to myself or I can provide Matthias with that and, and, and he knows about them too. I'm always available if, if people want to. You know, we are totally vocal. We're totally you know, open about what we've done and how we did it. 
maybe we do it someday to write it up and, and, and you know, do it in, in a, obviously that's tons of presentation, but we haven't done articles. We haven't done that yet. And, and we are now, you know, learning what we did because it, and I think these discussions is great for myself. I, I, I got, you know, I, I need to reflect, I need to look back and, and, and someday we will probably write it up, but I, we haven't done it. I'm, I'm totally transparent on that. I'm, uh, there are obviously data. I think if you go into the Roche websites and Genetech in the US, uh, there are information available about how we want to operate and how we, we division and all of that. Uh, I'm certainly grateful for the conversation because I think it's, it's more real. I mean, what comes across in, in, in our conversation that doesn't come across in the article is no. the passion, the energy, the enthusiasm, the commitment. The, it's beautiful. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just wonderful. So I, I honestly am quite happy with, with you Thank continuing you. to yeah. share the way you are. I think it, yeah. it makes such a difference. So uh, thanks again for, for being with us. Thank you so much. Love, love the conversation. What I think Rosh Sweden has done remarkably well is develop that incensing and intuitive capacity that comes from the internal voice, the whispers on the edge the opportunity to really hear and feel more deeply what's going on in the organization and developing far greater capacity than you can ever have when you are working strictly with your mental faculties. So I encourage those of you who are listening to develop those faculties to a greater extent. Obviously, this is an area of strength I have, and I encourage you to contact me and discuss how we can do that in your organization, or if you have a group of people, then we can do something online. The point is that this is a time more than ever where navigating in ambiguity, navigating in volatile conditions really requires that that deeper sense of of ability to, to detect what's going on, preferably before it happens. If not before it happens, then certainly in the moment, because it is really the, um, the strength that you have for steering in those uncertain conditions. Thank you for joining me. My name is Donna Jones. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can message me on Twitter at EPDAWNA underscore Jones or reach out to me directly at Donna at from insight to action dot com. Donna spelled D-A-W-N-A or call me 778-230-9326. I'm in Vancouver, Canada, West Coast. If you like this program, I ask you to share it, forward it, put it on social, wherever it is, and continue to support the program. Thank you.